This is a shock podcast. Hello, gladiators in suits. Jonathan here. Hello, everyone. This is Jed, and you're listening to episode ten of From Grit to Great podcast. Jed, how are you today? Oh, mixed emotions, mixed feelings. I have been reeling from the memories of my beautiful travels to Sri Lanka, but at the same time, I am still scared of what the global pandemic is bringing to us in the Philippines. So, yeah, I'm just really fed up with what's going on. Isn't it but exhausting at every time we start is. the podcast? I we usually talk about it. So, let's talk about something happier and something more hopeful. Let me ask you, John, when the pandemic is sort of over and the global borders have opened up, where is the first place that you think you would want to go to? When is that happening? 2030? 2035? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding aside. My favorite country in the world is Japan. So ah. even if I've been there many times and even if there's no novelty, well, we'll always have novelty with Japan anyway. That would be the That's first true. place I would go to. I would probably go to a place where I haven't been to, like Sapporo. Maybe Fukuoka. Yes, Okinawa. Okinawa. Yes, I probably go there. I've been to many places in Europe, but I haven't been to Germany yet. So oh. I probably go to Berlin and then make a stopover in Austria in Vienna. Right. How about right. you? I think I want to go to either South America, somewhere in South America, because that's one of the continents I've never been yet. Mm-hmm. And to, Which country? Do... Which country in South America? Mm-hmm. I've only been to two. I've only been to Argentina and Brazil. Both beautiful I places. Go, I think I would go for Mexico first and just travel oh. a lot of places. In Mexico. Well, it's scientifically proven that if you anticipate a trip, you get some level of happiness, you get to release some endorphins, and sometimes it's even more effective versus doing the trip itself. So for that's now, true. I think yeah. it's okay to daydream, even if that's going to happen in a few years' time. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So our podcast episode today, Jed, has something to do with being able to succeed in the workplace that involves relationships. And Mm. that is something to do with what they call as likability. Jed, on a scale of one to 10, how important do you think likability is when it comes to succeeding in your career? Uh, Depends on your motivation, really. If you're somebody who wants to go up the ladder in the company, then definitely it's very important. So that's a scale of 10. However, if you just are satisfied with being a salaried employee or you are happy to just be on your desk on your own, I guess likability doesn't really matter that much. I like how you're able to customize that. But in your case, personally, how is likability important? Of course, number 10 for me, definitely. I mean, doing my own business. So I have to be likable. Like I need to be very affable and charismatic to everyone, not just my customers, but also the workers that I deal with, my colleagues, everyone. And on a scale of 1 to 10, how likable do you think you are at work? Oh gosh. I could be nasty at times, so maybe You are because as a brother, I give you a 2 or a 3 at times. So <laughs> <laughs> hold on, I'm not really nasty. I am very fair and reasonable. I got that from my trainings in Singapore and, and in Tokyo, but a number, maybe I'll say eight. That's a very generous number, Jen. I don't think I don't think you deserve an eight. I do. 
Okay, I'm gonna give you a. <laughs> I'm gonna give you. How about me? How much do you think am I likable? Uh, do you think? Do you think between the two of us, let's say someone meets us for the first time over dinner, who do you think is gonna be more likable? I me. think. Why? I speak more. I'm, I'm oh, more that's true though. That's true. Every time gatherings. we have, I think I'm an intrinsically a kinder person. But I agree, I don't speak a lot in meetings or discussions or dinners to the point that people might think I'm snobbish. Yeah. Especially with point. strangers. Yeah. With strangers. I, I agree. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. I'll give that to you. Okay. So likability is something that we would like to establish in this podcast as an important aspect of our success. I want to share one of my favorite studies. This was published way back in June 2005, but this remains to be a pillar of what I believe is the cornerstone of what makes people succeed and get promoted at work. So this was published by Tiziana Casquero and Miguel Sousa Lobo. This was published in Harvard Business Review, and the title of the study is called Competent Jerks, Lovable Fools, and the Formation of Social Networks. Mm, and interesting. The, the question is simple. If you're given the opportunity to work with someone who is incompetent versus someone who is likable, which one do you choose? And they even make some combinations. So for example, do you like someone who is competent but is a jerk? Or these ones, do you like someone who is incompetent but remains to be lovable? I know that in the real world, you can have both. And I think we should all aspire to be both, both competent and lovable at the same time. But let's face it, we're going to be meeting those jerks at work. And I'm sure a lot of them exist today. Jed, if you were to choose competent but is a jerk or incompetent but is lovable. Okay, I'm going to go with incompetent but lovable. Your answer is similar to the majority of the respondents in the study. More than about 60% said, and this is, it can be quite surprising. And a lot of them said, I'd rather work with someone who needs to be trained further, but at least I work along well with them. So I, I work yeah, with I agree. pleasing personality. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to think, no, I'd rather work with someone who's competent but is a jerk. Because even if the person's a jerk, as long as he gets the job done, then I'll be fine. But what we find out in a lot of studies across the world is that people end up thinking, yes, he may be incompetent, but you can train that over time. You can manage someone's skills. You can level up their ability to be better and in their work. Personality, on the other hand, cannot be changed overnight. And sometimes the older the person is, the more it is a permanent feature of who they are. So yeah, I so agree with you. I'd also rather work with someone who may be incompetent, but is lovable. I'm also going to add, I think there's also a reason why people choose that. Because sometimes if you're confident that you can get the job done on your own, you'd rather be paired with someone. So so basically, that was my answer on hindsight. It's because I think if I'm working with this person who's not so good, but he's very lovable and forgivable, then I could do it on his or her behalf. And number two is that I don't want to be working with somebody who I would always be stressed with about. Mm. So that's going to be very toxic and stressful, really, on, on a daily basis. And that's not going to motivate you at all. So I'd rather work with somebody who is like tolerable, not very efficient, but at least can help me out do the business together. So that's, personality that's personality can sometimes trump the skills of a person, right? Okay. Yeah, of course. Of course. In corporate lingo, we have a term for this. We call it as the EBA or the emotional bank account. So that refers to the amount of love you have deposited in every colleague's hearts. 
And what we know is that successful people has a very full tank emotional bank account. So every time you become known for a good deed or achievement at work, you deposit more and more love so that in the future for posterity, in case you make a mistake or in case you commit something that relates to failure, you're still going to be lovable. Even if people withdraw some level of that love, your emotional bank account is still full, just like savings. Do you agree with this, Jed? Do you count your emotional bank account with some people? I actually do. Yes, definitely. I do. And it's very important. I want to highlight for those who are aspiring or are still new in the company, it's very important to take inventory of your emotional bank account. Meaning, for example, how much is your emotional bank account with your boss, with your teammate, with your HR, with the vice president or with the CEO? Is it empty? Is it full? If it's already full, you can spend your time filling up for those who you haven't interacted with yet. Because at the end of the day, they're also going to influence your career. And hey, sometimes they can even influence your promotions. So I want to share some tips today, Jed, since we've established that likability is so important. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is to share both from our experience and some anecdotes on how can our listeners improve their likability at work. First, level up your visibility. The word visibility is very, it sometimes can be controversial for some people because people think that visibility is about bootlicking. Visibility is about politicizing your presence and your importance in the company. Jed, what do you think of managing your visibility at work? Is this important for you as well, especially if the corporation or the company is very big? Of course, in a corporate world where you've got hundreds and probably thousands of employees, it really is very helpful to your career if you're very visible, not only to the people you you are directly working with, like your colleagues or your boss, it also pays if people above, above your boss would also know about you. The boss of the boss of the boss of the boss. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. It, it really is. And, and the HR, it's very important to be visible to the HR because these are the people that will push you into greater heights. And you know, I say that. I, I, get this, I get disappointed because a lot of people are not familiar with the idea that when you get promoted, it is not just your boss who decides for it. FYI. Yeah, it's your everyone. Boss, it's everyone. It's the boss of your boss. And speaking of HR, as you mentioned a while ago, Jed, HR has a level of decision-making for this. People don't know that there is such a thing as deliberation boards for promotion. Every quarter, they meet up and then they decide which Mm -hmm. of the employees are candidates and can be potentially be promoted in the company. Yep. And these are the bosses who actually talk in the conference room and then they take votes. Exactly. So, so for example, like, okay, next in the candidate for promotion is Jonathan. You don't want any of the managers saying, "Ah, I haven't heard of this guy. Who is this guy? Where is he from? I haven't met him in any meeting. Your visibility is important because those small talks, those anecdotes, it could be, let's say, meeting at the elevator, an email thread, or bumping into the elevator. They can decide if their familiarity with you can determine also your likability. And you do not want your boss to have a hard time trying to convince everyone else in the board meeting to actually promote you. I agree. You I, want- I, I love how you said that, you know, convincing. I think it's the operational, the operative term here. Because yeah. your boss, even if they nominate you, they should not be force feeding and yeah con- convincing information. Desperately. You want when, yeah, when your boss says, Oh, my team member, Emma. I want her to be uh, an associate in uh, the few months. You want everyone in the boardroom to, oh, yes, 
say yes to that and not your boss to convince further in trying to promote you. You don't want speaking that. Of, speaking of visibility, in psychology, there's what we call as the spotlight effect. The spotlight effect is that we tend to overestimate that people are observing us all the time. When in fact, they're not. They don't because they're mm-hmm. also busy with their own lives. Like, have you ever gotten that feeling, Jed, when you're walking along the street and you start thinking that a lot of people are looking at you? Not everyone yeah. thinks like that. But from time to time, we, we think of that. That's called the spotlight effect. That also happens at work. You tend to do a lot of projects and you overestimate that a lot of people are aware of what you're doing when a lot of them don't. So try to lower your expectations, be more conservative, and always assume that even if I'm achieving, even if I'm a rock star, maybe there are still a lot of people who do not know me yet. So John, we talk about all these like ability at work, nudging shoulders with your office mates, small talks in the elevator, in the pantry, upping your visibility. But how do you actually do that? Upping your emotional bank account virtually now that we are all working from home. Very good question that you're asking that because I can totally sympathize with a lot of our listeners. They might be saying, how can I push my visibility when I'm working from home? I can't just nudge everyone because we're all doing Zoom. We're all doing phone calls and chats. How do I do that? Well, first and foremost, the goal is to maximize all those digital platforms. In email threads, for example, don't just be a silent recipient. Speak up and share your ideas in emails where people can experience your brilliance. Have you been in situations wherein a lot of everyone in the email thread is sharing their idea and you're just there silently reading all the emails? That's true. Yeah. I actually do that a lot when there are email threads, when people are being asked about their opinions, about their comments and suggestions. I do the initiative to actually say my thoughts out loud. And even if you're not being asked, even if you're not the one who's being addressed in an email, it doesn't hurt. The reason why you're looped in is because you are important part of the group. So share your thoughts, share your opinions. Who knows? Your opinion might be the best opinion in town. Correct. And I think that is the best channel to be actually visible because there's a lot of people included in that email list, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it Mm -hmm. just makes sense. There's also what we call as the virtual pantries, which have replaced the physical pantry. So in pre-COVID-19 era, it was easy to mingle with other people because there's a space where you can get some water from the water cooler. You have the cafeteria. You have those meeting places or meeting areas where people usually congregate. Now that they are absent in the time of COVID-19, there are going to be virtual pantries. What are virtual pantries? These are group chats, email threads, platforms provided by the company where people can share their thoughts and ideas. Always ask yourself, and here's where you can have a healthy amount of paranoia. Was I looped in? Am I missing a certain chat group, whether it's on WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Viber, Line, whatever it is? Should I ask if I am added in this meeting? Should I nudge Samantha and tell and tell her, hey, I did not get any minutes of meeting in the last session? Was I looped in, in that email? Those virtual pantries, if ever you miss them out, it can make or break an entire week's of absence in the discussion. So be alert and be always proactive in asking if you are looped in. The third one are online meetings. It's easy to be invisible in virtual meetings because it's all about who gets to turn on their microphone first. And sometimes it's the extrovert who usually gets to dominate the discussion. Have you been in these kinds of meetings, Jed? Yes, there are. Here's my recommendation for introverts. If you can't have the opportunity to speak up, maximize the chat box. And if you happen to be the host, by the way, of a meeting, do not just be biased in listening to those who are turning on their microphone. Give an opportunity for others and tell them, hey, everyone, by the way, 
The microphone is not the only opportunity to share your thoughts. I am also going to be looking at the chat box. So if you have any ideas or opinions, please type it there. This way, you are allowing both the extroverts and the introverts or people who do not like to speak up, they simply want to communicate via written platforms to have a chance to be heard. I think that's a very good tip, you know, because I mean, I have been a speaker sometimes. And every time when I speak and when I hear people speaking their thoughts on webinars, I'm happy. But when I see some messages on the chat boxes, uh, for some reason, I'm happier because I see that these are the people who do not really speak out, but they're just even better questions in the chat boxes. They're more fruitful for me. And I enjoy that. I enjoy both hearing the people's thoughts and reading the chat boxes as well. So I consider myself as a teacher, and this is something that I significantly noticed in the time of COVID-19. Prior to COVID-19, I would usually have students who will never speak up. They will approach you privately for any questions. But, you know, you've had five sessions with them. They just don't speak up. You know that they're listening. You know that they're interested. You know that they perform well. But when COVID-19 happened, and we now have an opportunity to do everything via Zoom or Microsoft Teams, this same people were given an opportunity to finally share their thoughts because they have the chat box as their ally. Yeah. So I love how it gave, quote unquote, a voice for these folks as well. So that's tip number one. Tip number two, surround yourself with people who will advocate for you and root for you. Remember, likability is not something that you plant on your own. Likability is all about other people talking about you and saying, I like that guy. He's a cool girl. She's a very generous boss. Word of mouth is one of the most effective ways to market a product. It is no different also to marketing yourself in the organization. So Mm -hmm. my number one recommendation is don't just look at your network as a vertical line between you and your manager, the manager and the boss of the manager, and then the HR and the upper management, you know. Nudge, connect and volunteer outside those circles. What do I mean by that? Go outside your department. If you happen to be for marketing, try to get to know other people who are in finance beyond work. Your sales team in the provinces. It could be your global partner or your regional manager if you happen to be working for a multinational company. If you have some vendors or agencies, try to get to know your third party and build relationships with them because you'll never know. The moment someone goes to any of these folks and say, hey, you've been working with Jonathan for four years. How is he as a person? Do you like working with him? And you don't want them to say, ah, Jonathan, I wish I can switch him to another person instead. These people are going to be saying something behind your back and you want it to be the best thing about you. Jed, are you conscious about this as well? You've been both in the corporate and in the entrepreneurship world. All the time. It really works that you very well connected with everyone. Like what you mentioned, it's not just your linear connections, but everyone else surrounding you. And I want to highlight, most people might say, but how do I build that connection? Well, my simplest advice, try to look for something that's common between the two of you. It could be just one Netflix TV show. It could be one favorite food. It could be one favorite city. Build on that one thing and work your way upwards. Because let's face it, guys, you don't want to make it look like you're forcing likability with someone. You have to start somewhere and then build the likability of the person afterwards. Great tip. I really like that. Jed, one more. On a scale of 1 to 10, how outspoken are you in challenging their ideas at work? Let's say you don't like someone's idea. I would say 7. 
Really? I think you're more yeah. outspoken. I think usually you would be eight or nine. You know, when, when it comes to people who are very arrogant and sometimes when they're very outspoken without any sense, I just let them be. I just let them falter down to their knees. I would think I'm more of a nine or a ten. If I think I'm in the right place at the right time, I will speak up because I don't mm-hmm. want to regret that I kept my silence during That's that That's true. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So when you want to speak up and you want to be candid about it, the noun being candor, which is the quality of being open and honest in expression, the quality of frankness, I'd like to introduce something that I've been applying for the longest time. And it's coming from this best-selling book by Kim Scott. Have you heard of the book Radical Candor? No, I have not. So Radical Candor is like you're being candid, but you're also fully aware that you still consider the feelings of the other person and that you don't want to offend them. So the idea of Radical Candor is, hey, I care for you, and that's why I'm challenging you. Isn't that a beautiful thing to do? Or saying to someone, hey, I know you care for me, and therefore, if you challenge me, I will not take it personally. Because real friends and people who care for you are going to say it to your face, even if it hurts. That's true. That's very true. But you still consider the feelings of other person. So for example, and here's the formula I'd like to introduce for radical candor. Before you challenge someone, first care or appreciate for them. So the formula is simple. Care or appreciate, and then you challenge. So instead of saying, ah, that idea doesn't make sense. Do you have anything that's even better? So instead of saying that, which might offend someone, consider saying, okay, Jonathan, thank you for that input. Although I think the idea lacks X, Y, and Z because... So you see what I did there? Yes, I don't like the idea, but I appreciated the person's effort for it. But I'm not going to let him get away with that lack of creativity. Mm-hmm. So radical candor is I challenge you, but I still care for you. So at yeah. the same breath that you're challenging someone, you're telling them nothing personal, but I don't like it. But I get the reason why you're coming from this place. So it's being just very empathetic at the beginning and then trying to challenge them. So I do this as well. You know, I always tell them, you know, I see where you're coming from. So you become empathetic first. And then you say, oh, however, this, 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 this. So you do not invalidate the person just because they're different. Because that doesn't make you superior to others. It's just that they were raised in another place. And they may be legit or valid in that place. You just happen to be in another place in this case. You make them more engaged. You do not alienate or push them away. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be needing them later on in your projects. That's true. That's how you improve your likability. I think one of the reasons why people can also be likable is when they are reliable, meaning when they fall short of people's expectations, they bounce back and they bounce back really well. So Jed, speaking of choice of words, and this is the last part, let's pretend you happen to be in an elevator and the CEO is in the same elevator, asks you the question, hey, Jonathan, I haven't seen you for a while. By the way, how is your product doing in the market? What's your market share? And let's pretend you don't really know the answer because you forgot to check the numbers. How would you Mm -hmm. answer this question? I think what I always do is that I say, <laughs> let me get back to you. Very good. Okay. And, and, Very and, good. And, and hear me out. Hear me out. After I say, let me get back to you, I say to them, let me get back to you in two hours or let me get back to you after my meeting ends. So I always put a time frame there. I just don't want the person to know that I really don't know, but I'm going to check. But I tell them that I will get back to you at this specific time. Very good. So most people would rather say, I'm sorry, I forgot to check, but they leave the person hanging. And that's not a professional way to do it. People exactly. think that you are unreliable. So always say, let me get back to you. Let me validate. Let me check. 
If you're not sure, don't just say, uh, I'm not sure. Say something like, let me check first. And I love how you said there has to be a time frame because that means you're committing to them for what exactly. you have missed out. People who are likable, they are remembered for those small conversations when, ah, those details matter. That thoughtfulness of how the person went back to me and the humility that he wasn't able to get it right, but he bounced back afterwards, that's going to be a true mark of likability. Great. So do you think your likability level has improved, Jed, after this podcast? (laughs) Level one or level two? I hope it did, actually. I hope it did. And I hope our listeners also were able to catch something that can improve their likability. Because let's face it, guys, your likability determines your success. So Jed, I wish you safe travels and I'm going to see you face to face after your quarantine, by the way. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. But yeah, thank you so much for this meaningful conversation. Bye, guys. Bye. 